Hey, you, dare to think. Y'all ready to get funky? Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Warning, the show might trigger you. You don't love the gospel. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly Zilly. It is my great privilege once again to have with us from the great, not quite the great white north up in Canada, but pretty darn close up in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, Pastor Dan Silsley. How are you doing today, Dan? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are the pastor, the campus pastor at Wittenberg Lutheran Chapel, serving students where? Grand Forks, North Dakota, the University of North Dakota. Okay. And that is, and they are not the fighting Sioux. They are. Well, they are they, depending they, on who you talk to. <laughs> but what is their new? What is their new PC nickname? They are now the Fighting Hawks. The Fighting which Hawks, which doesn't quite have the same ring. You have to. No, admit. it it doesn't quite do it. But uh, anyways, you know, the hockey games though, they're still the Sioux. No, oh. have you been to some hockey games since you've been there? I have. Yeah, I, I watch most of them on TV. But... Sure. I've gotten to go to a couple. No, it's it's a thing. If you've never been up in that part of the country, uh, man, I mean that quite the quite the arena was it fit like fifteen thousand people or something? Something like that. It's, uh, yeah, amazing. It's exceptional. I mean, hockey is a uh, uh, now. Suffice to say, part of the reason why hockey is big up on there because it is cold up there. What do you, what kind of temperature are you looking at right about now? Oh, right now it's probably I don't know in the. 30s it's actually not been too bad okay. for this time of year yeah. well i wanted to have you on uh we're going to start a three-part series today so each of the next three times we're going to be uh, walking through different aspects different chapters of of dan's book misquoted rethinking commonly misused bible verses and uh, thought i'd have you on in december uh, people thinking about christmas gifts it's a great book i'm even going to buy some for some of my family uh, but also, I like, uh, since I'm in New Mexico, I like to talk to people where it's colder than where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did marry a North Dakotan. So uh, uh, props to everybody up in North Dakota that's listening. And uh, you got a wonderful campus ministry up there. Uh, how's how's campus ministry going? How's life in, uh, in Grand Forks? And uh, where can people learn more about uh, what you got going on there at Wittenberg? Uh, it's been going very well. It's been a good year, a fast year so far, but, um, they can check out our website if they want at wittenbergchapel.com and, um, see what we have going on. We have a great group of students here. We gather every week, uh, for divine service and Bible study, and we rejoice in God's promises and, uh, have a great community here. So if anyone wants to come visit, if they're in the area, we'd love to have them. Right, or if you're looking for someplace tropical to go to college, um, <laughs> it's it's the place to go for about what two months out of the year. No, it, it actually, yeah, right. you know, it's a dry cold. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody always says it's a dry heat in Arizona. Well, it's yeah. a dry cold up there. Although you've had yeah. a pretty wet fall, as I understand. So, yeah, man, pray for those farmers. Ugh, a tough time. Absolutely, but. Uh, Anyways, um, now have you walked through some of your book with your, your students? 
You know, we haven't gotten around to doing that. We've been doing other things. Well, hopefully, uh, have hopefully, studies. if they listen to the podcast, they'll go, "Hey, Pastor, why don't we go through some of this?" <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we could. But uh, no, I can't commend this enough um, to everyone out there. Where can people get a copy of Misquoted? Uh, anywhere you buy books, Amazon, uh, Kindle, uh, Apple Books, you know, okay. any of those places. In fact, I just Walmart, I think has it. I just I just checked. It's it's a little over seven bucks right now for Amazon. So if you got some Amazon credits, whatever, um, it's a very nice, very popularly written. It's not real long, but just just well, let's dive into it. We're gonna look at the first of uh, one of these um, kind of vignettes that you have in here. The first one uh, based on Revelation three twenty. All you have to do is that's the claim. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the the claim of how people kind of misquote things or mistake things, and we're going to look at the context of Scripture, and then consider the comfort about how much comfort there is when we get it right, and then talk about how this maybe has an impact on college life together. So why don't you set this set the table here for for the claim of well, all you have to do is set the table for us. I based this chapter on Revelation 3, verse 20, which is often used in um, preaching contexts for the sort of a climax of the service. So so you hear a, a great sermon, maybe, um, and, and you've gone through this whole worship experience, and at the end of the sermon, the pastor uh, will end his sermon by saying, all right, you've heard all this stuff about God and Christ and his forgiveness. Now, now here's your job. All you have to do is, um, and then it's usually followed by, you know, accept Jesus into your life, open your heart to Jesus. Um, and he'll sometimes quote Revelation 3.20, where, where Jesus there says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and, um, and the one who opens up, I will come into him. And so that verse is often used as a an exhortation to unbelievers um, to exercise their will to become a Christian, to invite Jesus into their life, to give their life to Jesus, to accept Jesus, however you want to word it. Um, it's, it's an exhortation to the unbeliever to exercise their will to become a Christian. And, uh, and it's a very popular use of that verse, and it's a very popular way of thinking just in general in American Christianity, that this is how unbelievers become believers is through some exercise of their will well it and seems so, seems logical right it, it I mean, does kind of seem don't logical, we have transactions yeah. like this in the rest of our life that i mean it you know here's everything here's the pitch now it's up to you yep that's right and and so the question with this chapter i mean we do get into the the text of revelation but really what i emphasize is asking the question what does scripture teach about man's will and especially in regard then to becoming a Christian, to conversion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we go in the chapter. So let's, um, let's set up the context here. What this really gets down to is, is God's will. And you talk about the, uh, the four stages of uh you know you kind of have to understand that the stages of god's will here uh to man's be able, will a man's will excuse me man's will yeah. mm -hmm. um why don't you set that because and then we we really are getting to talk about well how is man converted 
and uh, yeah. what are the stages of, of man's will towards God? And you have to kind of, what's the background with that so that maybe we can dive into Ephesians a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Theologians have talked about man's will in, like you said, four, basically four stages. And we can talk about man's will uh, before, the, before the fall into sin, the will of man after the fall into sin, but before conversion, and that second one is really going to be the one we want to talk about. Okay. Then we can talk about man's will after he's converted, okay. and then we can talk about man's will in the resurrection, like when Jesus returns and finally everything is put to right, uh, then man's will um, is once again restored as well. Uh, so those are the four stages, and again, the one we want to talk about is the second one. What is the nature of man's will after the fall into sin, but before He's converted uh, to be a Christian, um, and and the the text I go to is Ephesians chapter two, which is maybe one of the clearest texts in the Scriptures about what the will of man is before he's Absolutely. he's converted. Um, can I just read it? Yeah, please, please, please at, do. At least the first first three verses. Here's a yeah. We don't that. want if you're out there driving around in uh, Metro St. Louis, we don't want you to stop and pull out your Bible and follow. <laughs> So, so, yeah, please we'll do, do you a favor. And please go ahead and uh, walk us walk us through it. So Paul here is in chapter two, verse one. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hmm. That's verses 1 through 3. Okay. And and what I want to point out there is notice how Paul describes uh, first the Ephesians before they were converted. Uh, he describes them as dead. And then later he says, in fact, this is the case for all mankind. Mm-hmm. But but he, does, he he describes them as dead, which is really instructive, because if you think of a dead person uh there's not much dead people can do (laughs) you know no i i sometimes use the analogy of if you drag someone who is drowned in the ocean you drag them up onto the the shore and uh and they're just lying there lifeless and uh and and someone comes along and says i know how to help them and they stand over that dead person and they just scream at them uh you know, live, get up, come on. What are you waiting for? All you have to do is breathe, get the water out of your lungs, and you'll be fine, you know? Yeah, it's okay, um, everyone. I am a motivational speaker. Let me motivate this dead person <laughs> back to life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What that person needs is someone to come along and, and to give them the life that they don't have, in this case through CPR, right? And and so dead things, uh, by their very nature of being dead, cannot do anything to give themselves life. And so Paul says, you were dead. How? In your trespasses and sins. And therefore, by nature, children of God's wrath. And so uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 teaches us that not only can the unbeliever, um, not only does the unbeliever not want anything to do with God on his own, um, he can't have anything to do with God on his own. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And so if he's going to have life, he needs to have it come from somewhere else. But that's confusing to us because we see a person outwardly, physically, that's not dead. 
And so when right. we apply it to things spiritually, it's kind of confusing, is it not? Because hey, you know, yeah, so I mean, and so looks like looks they make decisions all the time. You know, that you go to the grocery the store, you decide what you want to pick up and how much you want to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And so the word of God, um, in this case, comes along and it tells us something that is so contrary to the way we naturally operate that um, that it is it is frankly the gift of faith that allows us to say amen to this text. Sure. Because I read it, too, and I think, man, it doesn't seem to look that way when we use our human eyes. But this is the true spiritual condition that God is teaching us in his word. Um, and in fact, when we when we realize this, then all of a sudden um, his promises become so comforting, actually. Sure. So how does he continue on there? What else does he say there in Ephesians? Well, so if he goes on in verse 4 and he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, verse 4 starts with some of the two most amazing words uh, in, in this text, which is, but God. So, so Paul first talked about all the verbs that we were doing that lead to destruction. You know, we are dead. Uh, but then he says, but God. And then he starts talking about all the verbs that God does to make us alive. And he does it all in Christ. And and notice how Paul, he doesn't start, uh, he doesn't start in verse 4 talking about how the Ephesians gave their lives to Jesus or accepted Jesus. Or he says, well, you were that way, but now all you have to do is, he just goes straight to Jesus. And he just says, look, here's what God did to make you alive and this was not your own doing. This was a pure gift by God's grace. And and so just this text from Ephesians should be enough to make us say, well, perhaps we shouldn't be exhorting the unbeliever to make a, an exercise of his will to become a Christian. Perhaps we should simply proclaim to him who he is in his sin and what God has done for him in Christ to Abs save him from that sin. Absolutely. And you know, the, the, perhaps the best, I mean, there is one other example that you kind of can't get around in scriptures you know the whole how, how does Lazarus is being raised by Jesus how does that kind of illustrate this for us so well yeah right so Lazarus um, a good friend of Jesus right and he he dies and he's buried in the tomb and Jesus then comes and uh, and he's there at the tomb and and people are weeping and um, Jesus himself weeps when he is there, but he's going to raise Lazarus. And, uh, and Lazarus' sister says, well, he's been dead four days. Don't you think he stinks by now? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Jesus has them roll away the, the, the uh, stone, and, uh, and he says, Lazarus, all you have to do is wake up. <laughs> Exercise your will, become alive again. 
No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the remarkable creative word of God actually does what it demands. It accomplishes what it demands. The living, Just like when God it's, said, it's like God breathing oh, into Adam like, at creation. Yeah. He's rebreathing into Lazarus. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when God says, let there be, there is. So when Jesus says, come forth, Lazarus doesn't have an option. He comes forth. He, he, he is alive. He walks out of the tomb living one who had been dead alive, not because of anything he had done, but because of the mighty and living and active word of his Lord. Mm. Doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. But you know, I, I often think that uh, people often get confused with this because I think it's such an example of that the Lazarus story is such a great example of just how faith works in general. We're all spiritually dead. We're all vivified, brought back to life, rebreathed into by God. Lazarus, did Lazarus come out of the grave? Yes. Did Lazarus stand up? Yes. Did Lazarus do it by his own power? Of course not. And Lazarus wouldn't have come out and pointed to, hey, hey guys, what a coincidence you're all here, right? At the time I decided to get up, and at the exact same time that Jesus decided to say those words. No, he would have given all praise and glory to God because he didn't do squat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm. How, how does, I mean, when we, we have just about five, six minutes here, what the comfort, let's, let's move if we can or move towards the, the comfort here. It's really kind of a damning thing to think that it all relies on me, isn't it? It can't be any other way because uh, if all you have to do is, I mean, first of all, all you have to do is kind of trivializes things, you know? Uh, So look, you want to be saved? All you got to do is this as if it's like some, it's going to the grocery store and buying a loaf of bread or something or baking a batch of cookies. We're talking about, our salvation here. And so when someone says, all you have to do is this to be saved, it does two things. It underestimates the depth of our sin and it overestimates our ability to do something about it. And so, um, so when, when we're hearing this kind of language, like all you have to do is this, it, it can't do anything other than point us to ourselves and our works for certainty uh, with regard to our salvation. And if you've ever been in that boat, uh, you know that no amount of works can ever be enough. No matter how uh, devout and pious you are and how many good works you accomplish, you can never, ever be sure that it's enough. And so you're always living with uncertainty or you're always living with pride. Like, hey, look what I've done. I'm, I'm pulling this off. Um, and so, so really what sounds kind of innocent, all you have to do is this, actually leads people to utter and damning despair. And so this is why we kind of should care about how we talk about oh, yes. how sinners are brought to Christ. Because um, because when Christ speaks, there is certainty. And so why would we introduce uncertainty where our Lord has promised Look, I have made you alive in the waters of your baptism. I have brought you to life through my living and active word. I have forgiven all of your sins. When our Lord says that, we can trust it, and we have certainty because of that word. And so, you know, when I was in college, 
um, I would go to all these different sort of denominational gatherings of young people and they'd always have like a band and someone would give a message. But then there was always the moment when you, you had everyone sort of giving their life to Jesus. And I have to admit, I grew up LCMS, pastor's kid, born and raised Lutheran. But man, that was, that was really tempting every time I heard it. <laughs> like, oh man, isn't, wouldn't that be cool? You know, I, I went through say, these, I went through this phase too, um, where yeah. I flirted around and went to these other, and I, in some cases I just wanted to support some of my other Christian friends or whatnot. And, uh, but I have to say, you know, you know, all the context where I've ever been in, and one of those things, it, it, the church service reminds me of like a high school dance where, where all you get all the rowdy music out of the way. And, and then they, then they, they set the lights down low and bring out the slow song. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, this hey, is where it gets all on. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like, and then all the guys sitting around the corner, Oh, I got to grab a girl now. It's kind of like, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta come forward and do, I, it's, it, it, I don't mean to make light of it, but it, it has that same kind of a feel like you're, like you're, you're, you're creating a sales pitch, uh, whether it's in a school dance to get a girl to dance with you or giving your, giving your heart to Jesus. Um, but anyways, um, well, you know, real quick, I guess we, going back to Revelate, the Revelation passage, that wasn't really, I mean, why is he writing this to the, to the church because um, this isn't really about, um, he, he's writing, Jesus saying, behold, I'm standing on the door knocking. What's, what's, he's not knocking on a individual to an individual. He's talking to the people who are already believers, isn't he? Right. If, if, uh, I mean, even if you left Ephesians out of the picture, right. um, Revelation three in the context is not about unbelievers becoming believers in that whole context of chapter two and three, um, Jesus is speaking to his church. He's speaking to his church who is being tempted uh, away from him. And so uh, there in chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking, we shouldn't be imagining sort of this gentle Jesus knocking at the door of someone's heart, just powerlessly asking if he can come in. You know, this is a call to repentance. This is a church who has put Jesus on the outside of it. And so that he is now on the outside, knocking down the door um, to call them to repentance um, because they have gone astray. See, So he's talking to the church, and the message that he's giving is not um, sort of this gentle message. It is, look, you need to return to what I gave you uh, and return to me. It is a call to Christians to repent and to uh, return once again to Christ, so it's which really, is actually a message that all of us need every sure. single day. I mean, it's it's a it's a warning um, to all believers, rather than being yeah. an invitation to the unbelievers. And right. so we need to be careful um, in that regard. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, we can spend our time dis- discussing this, that, and the other thing, and related to the stages of the will. And faith comes from hearing, right? I mean, isn't that Paul's point? And so uh, it seems to me that uh, the best thing that we can do for unbelievers is to simply give them the, the comfort of God's word and give it in its give it full-throated, uh, both law and gospel. Why is that so important that we get that right? 
Well, if you don't have uh, the law, then the gospel loses its sweetness. And if you only have the law, then, uh, then you're only stuck in despair. Mm. And so um, we trust that the Holy Spirit will do his work through his word. Not that we need to see the fruits of, of that work, but that he is doing what he promised. And so when we proclaim law and gospel, uh, we trust that the Spirit will do what he wills through that word. And we don't have to try to you know, manipulate it to our own ends and give a sales pitch. We simply preach Christ and him crucified. And then like Lazarus coming out of the grave, we give glory to God and say amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey. Dan, thanks for uh, being with us today. Next week, we're going to take a look. Y'all got to come back for this one. Topic is don't be a hater. Based on uh, Matthew 7, one of the uh, seldom used uh, scripture passages by by the masses. (laughs) Judge not lest you that you not be judged. I never heard that one before. So we'll talk about that one next week. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you again next time. Have a good one. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.